dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23, follow at your own risk. And it's just me today on this episode, bringing you an important conversation with a special guest. But before we get into that, I want to thank all of you for your feedback, your helpful feedback, and even pushback on our last episode, The Myth of the Absent Black Father. It was an extremely personal episode for Jamar and myself, and it was definitely something that affected many of you, our listeners, as well. So to everyone who's given feedback publicly and privately, along with telling their personal stories, giving their thoughts, we honor you and your contribution to this vitally important conversation. We also plan to have a follow-up to this episode in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Now to get into today's topic. Before we get into our conversation, I just want to frame the topic for you. Now, everyone in a Black family knows this phenomenon. Everyone who's listening that's part of a Black family, I can guarantee you have a favorite cousin. Now, this is the person who you connect and identify with most in the family. You may not get along with everyone, but this one cousin you can always count on. This is the cousin who checks up on you, that you hang with at the family reunion, the one who keeps you informed on all the family drama, the one who spills the tea, so to speak. Now, I have one of those cousins. Since we've reconnected in our adult years, we found ourselves exchanging encouraging text messages, dreaming out loud with business plans and ideas, even praying with and challenging each other to be better men. Now, we come from different backgrounds. We have different personal stories, different family backgrounds, but we still connect because we're blood cousins. A few years back, I remember receiving an important call from this favorite cousin. I picked up like I always do, expecting to hear his was good cuz in his usual Southern swag. But instead of a lighthearted conversation, I was greeted with terror. He was frantic. He called to tell me that one of our other close cousins, for the purpose of this podcast, we'll just call him Jay. The Jay had been picked up by the police. He had a few prior run-ins with the law, but nothing that I thought would lead to a long-term sentence. The difference is that this time he had been busted with some drugs in his possession. Now, this small amount of marijuana, combined with his criminal history, created the atmosphere for tragic consequences. And with a cracking voice, my cousin tearfully told me that Jay was receiving the stiffest penalty possible. The judge decided to throw the book at him. He was receiving 17 years. Now, at the time of his sentence, Jay had a fiance. He had two kids. He had entrepreneurial opportunities, hopes, and dreams, but now all of that was lost. And for me, this fateful phone call was a key moment of realization. Though it had been in front of my face my entire life, for the first time I saw personal proof that our criminal justice system is broken. It wasn't that I wanted Jay to be exonerated for illegal activity. It was the disproportionate relationship between the consequences and the crime. It wasn't that I wanted the judge to let him go free, but I wanted him to have a lawyer who actually cared, one who could really negotiate or get his proposed sentence reduced so he wouldn't have to wait until his kids were adults to see them again. I just wanted him to have a chance. Now, for many, the problems in the criminal justice system date back far longer than a personal story or far longer than a few years ago. They date back to the war on drugs, to the principle and practice of convict leasing, to slave patrols, to the problematic history of criminal enforcement for black and brown bodies within our country. 
And what many people have pointed out is that our criminal justice system is retributive. It's punishment-based, but it's not rehabilitative, not restorative. And for Christians, this is an incomplete picture of the character of God's justice in his kingdom. And in his book, Rethinking Incarceration, which I encourage every Christian to read, our friend Dominique Gilliard makes this point well. He explores the history and foundation of mass incarceration, examining Christianity's role in its evolution and expansion. He assesses our nation's ethic of meritocracy in light of scripture and exposes the theologies that embolden mass incarceration. And he illustrates this point well and how it connects to our theology by saying divine justice is restorative and reconciling, not retributive and isolating. And the restorative nature of God's justice is woven throughout scripture. God works amid brokenness, restoring victims, communities, and offenders. Now, considering the negative effects of the criminal justice system on our churches, our communities, our families, our very bodies, Rethinking how we do justice should be of paramount importance for every Black Christian. Now, to help us think through restorative justice as a model of healing, forgiveness, and catharsis, we're bringing you a special conversation with Van Jones. Van Jones is, of course, a CNN political contributor, host of The Van Jones Show on that network, and a social entrepreneur. He's also authored three New York Times bestselling books, and he's led numerous initiatives, including the Reform Alliance, which is reforming the criminal justice system by changing laws and policies while changing hearts and minds. He's also the host of a new series called The Redemption Project that explores the transformative power of grace and redemption. By offering a rare glimpse into the restorative justice process, each episode of this show follows the victim or surviving family members of a life-altering crime as they journey to meet face-to-face with their offender in the hopes of finding answers or some sense of healing. He serves as a guide for the viewer throughout this transformative experience. And the series is aiming to be a powerful testament of our capacity for healing and grace. Now, I had the privilege of watching two episodes from the show, and it was a thoughtful and, yes, uncomfortable viewing experience. I'm not without my critiques, but I do think that the humanization of the offenders and the victims' families was a healthy, honest exercise of restorative justice. So I was happy to talk about the purpose and presentation of the Redemption Project. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today with Van Jones, right here on Pass the Mic. Van Jones, thank you so much for joining us here on Pass the Mic. I'm glad to be here. Now, the show is called The Redemption Project. It's on CNN, and I have to admit to you, um, before I watched the episodes, I was a bit hesitant and curious as to how this would go, but I was mm-hmm. genuinely moved by these stories. Now, I don't purport to be an expert on restorative justice, but what about restorative justice grabbed you and wanted you to get involved in it? Well, listen, I have, um, for 25 years, I've been working inside prisons. I've been working on criminal justice issues. And, you know, I am aware that people can do really, really horrific things and then 10 years later, 20 years later, have completely transformed even inside of, of, of a prison and become something that, uh, you know, is worthy of, 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 of not forgiveness, at least worthy of hearing from them. And so mm-hmm. I knew that. I knew how much moral genius, you know, how many miracles sometimes happen behind bars. I also have just honestly, I've just been 
so heartbroken to watch in the broader culture just the exodus of grace, of empathy, of caring, of love. It's become so trendy to be, you know, just, you know, blocking people and, and, and cancel culture. And, and that's, that's what's now fashionable is mm-hmm. not to be empathetic. And so I just, you know, said, look, let's just go the 180 degrees the other way and let's find people who have done really bad things, who want to make amends, talk to them, and then talk to the people that they hurt or all too often the surviving family members. Right. And then film a conversation between the person who did that horrible act and the person that they hurt and see what happens. And what we saw um, was miracle after miracle happening. Hmm. Now, in two of the eight episodes, you know, the surviving family members, the parents, they couldn't get to a warm, fuzzy place. They couldn't get to forgiveness. It was just too horrible. However, even they got something out of the conversation just to get more information, what really happened and that kind of thing, which you can carry for 20 years and never know. Because if it doesn't come out in court, you you, you just don't. You just live in this prison of of confusion and pain. Uh, But uh, even though those two... Uh, did not choose to get to a forgiving place, uh, which is their right and no problem with that. There were three who, you know, honestly tried to get the person out of prison Hmm. after the conversation. So we saw the full range of human experience in the Mm -hmm. face of pain. And I just feel it's important for us to put some medicine back into this sick culture. Uh, We've got to make at least the attempt at empathy and caring and forgiveness as fashionable as this kind of divisive rhetoric that's now taken over everything. You know, what I appreciated most was the way that the show took a deep dive into the backstories of both sides. Um, And in this criminal justice conversation, how important is it for us to view people as dynamic and not just as the victim or the perpetrator of one specific act? I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, Everybody has to take responsibility. If you do something where, where you harm someone else, uh, you have to take responsibility and accountability. And no, I'm not a part of, of the pro-crime lobby, you know. Right. Um, but nobody can be reduced or should be reduced to only the worst decision they ever made. You would want to be uh, defined that way. Um, think of how much of yourself would be left unrecognized and unutilized if we only figured out what's the worst thing you ever did and, and that was the only way mm-hmm. anybody related to you for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So that is something, and, and that's just basically, honestly, we have so much data in our society and so little wisdom. Hmm. You know, it, it, we, we've got to get to a place where we are able to get back to some wisdom here. Um, and the show really tries to push in that direction. You know, the Redemption Project, um, you know, it comes you know, 9 p.m. on Sunday, starting April 28th. Um, that slot itself you know, that's the Anthony Bourdain slot right. on CNN. Right. You know, we, we lost him a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's sacred ground for CNN anyway. And for us to have eight weeks to put these kind of stories on. And like I said, you don't know on some of these stories till the, right before the credits roll how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who go in there thinking they're going to be lovey-dovey and forgiving, and they find out, no, they cannot be. There are people who go in there saying they're going to be hardcore and they don't, they're only being drugged there because of their family members, and they wind up going the other way. Mm-hmm. So... The humanity, this is not reality television, this is just real. We, there's no script, there's no prompts. We put people in the room and let them talk, and we shoot it. Right. And, um, and I, I tell you, 
uh, if you have any money, invest in the Kleenex Corporation, because very <laughs> yes. few people have been able to watch these episodes without at least dabbing their eyes once or twice. Oh, the first one got me. It got me bad. Uh, <laughs> I just love that Brian Stevenson quote that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Um, yeah. You mentioned it a few times that, you know, theologically here at, at The Witness at Pastor Mike, you know, we process redemption in the context of great evil, not avoiding it, but facing it directly. And I don't think there's any way around the fact that these are heinous crimes. So how do you walk this fine line of seeking redemption, but also dignifying the victims of the crimes and their families who are no doubt still almost being re-traumatized by this and going through it constantly, even as they record? Well, you know, the the reality is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm. And um, it is... an inevitable fact that at some point in our lives we do things that it literally two minutes later we would have done differently, let alone 20 years later, let alone 30 years later. And so we have to be able to make room for um, the fact that people do grow and change, especially when you're talking about, you know, uh, know, young people, inebriated people, Mm -hmm. people who, you know, have done things, you know, you can't take it back. Listen, we can't start this interview over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we can't we can't rewind life to tw- two minutes to start this interview over, let alone twenty years. And so, we're again. I, uh, I believe that by focusing on some of these very very tough cases, I at least hope to inspire people to look at their own lives and say, "Well, hold on a second. If these people can at least sit down and have a conversation, maybe I should unblock my friend on Facebook because they posted one thing I didn't like four years ago." Mm-hmm. Or maybe I should talk to my cousin I haven't talked to in 12 years because we had a breakdown at Thanksgiving dinner. Nobody can even remember what we were fighting about. Mm-hmm. Like, we, can we at least, you know, people say, well, I can't possibly, you know, forgive that person what they did. Okay, well, who can you forgive? Mm-hmm. Let's just have a conversation about who can you be in conversation with. If, 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 if the moral heroism of the people on this show is good for anything besides those people, it should be to license and inspire the rest of us um, to at least be willing to be in conversation. Everybody has someone they owe an apology to, hmm. and everybody has someone they might benefit by being in conversation with. And if you can do it safely, you know, again, don't try anything too crazy at home. These cases, you know, we have a lot of support, a lot of facilitation around. Right. So don't just get crazy and just you know, start doing crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, don't there's try a build-up. Right, right. Yeah, there's a build-up to it. There's a whole process to it, and you'll, if you see when you watch the show, so don't just go run do crazy stuff. But everybody has someone they owe an apology to, and everybody has someone in their past that they might be benefit from you know, having a conversation with 5, 10, 20 years later. They could be incredibly healing and revelatory, and we don't even do it. Well, one final question before we let you go. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is Luke 10, and a lawyer gets up and asks Jesus how to inherit eternal life. And you know, Jesus gives him the, the loving God, loving neighbor, and he asks to, to justify himself, who is my neighbor? And it seems like this project is, is this extended argument for us to see those who are, who are victims and even those who are incarcerated as our neighbors, as our human neighbors. So for those who are listening and will watch the show, what practical steps can they take to love those neighbors? Is there something that they can do um, even from the confines of their home as they're watching, as they're moved um, or the next day? What can they do um, from there after they watch The Redemption Project? Well, you know, let me invite people to um, check out the Reform Alliance, uh, reformalliance.com. That's an organization trying to make our court system more fair, 
Um, it was started by Jay-Z and Meek Mill and about half a dozen other heavy hitters. I am the CEO of that effort. We really, uh, we're asking people to, to sign up to, to help. So if, if you want to help change some of the, the, the macro, uh, help the Reform Alliance. But you know, at a micro level, first I ask people, try to forgive yourself. I mean, we carry so much guilt and shame. Um, and, it, you know, and it pops up and it flares up and it makes us act in ways that are, are smaller than what God sent us here to do. But you know, I would say first, you know, figure out what you need to forgive yourself for. Um, and see if you can take a step toward that. See if there's somebody who you feel that you owe an apology to. See if, and yeah, they may not accept it. As you see in our show, right. and they don't always accept it. Exactly. <laughs> but at least can you find some way to make amends, you know, even if, if, if it's just through, through prayer or, or doing something different in your own life? And then, um, you know, is there somebody uh, that you can forgive? And I cannot tell you how um, much better uh, the people who participate in this field is not. It, look, there's no miracle pill for for pain, but to at least watch these people who the system says should never talk. Because after the verdict, the system says, you know, you can't talk to each mm-hmm. other anymore. We we got to put this person behind bars. They can't contact you. You can't contact them, basically. And so everybody just is in a prison, uh, a, a, an emotional prison, frozen in place, ten, twenty years. And the remarkable thing is the person who has the key to getting out of that emotional prison for the victim, the person who has the key is that person behind bars. Hmm. And when that person is willing to say, well, here's what happened, and here's your loved one's last words, and, and, and here's what was really going on, it doesn't fix everything, but it at least removes some of the stones in that person's shoe, and that's hmm. worth doing. Well, Van Jones, thank you so much for your work and for coming to, to talk with us here uh, today on Pass the Mic. And I hope everyone enjoys the Redemption Project as much as I did. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for having me. God bless you. God bless.